On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies? We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. Welcome. We have Stacy Rukeyser. She's been a staple in the television industry for over 19 years, and her stories speak to women across generations. She is the creator, showrunner, and executive producer of Sex Life on Netflix, which in its first two weeks was in the top 10 list of 92 countries. Prior to Sex Life, Stacy was showrunner on Unreal, which received an Emmy nomination for outstanding writing in a drama series. Stacy's previous writing credits include Without a Trace, Crash, One Tree Hill, Greek, The Lion Game, and many others. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Stacy. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. So we were just telling you how super excited we are. <laughs> we have a lot to discuss with you about yourself, your career, about sex life. But first, why don't we start easy and just have you tell our listeners a little bit about the show as well as the inspiration behind it, which we know was from B.B. Easton's memoir, 44 Chapters About Four Men. Sex Life is about a wife and mom living in the suburbs who seemingly has it all, but her husband tickles the baby's feet and not hers and watches the TV over her shoulder when they're having sex. And when those late nights in the nursing chair, she starts wondering, who am I now? And where did that other girl go? Because she used to be this real wild child in her glamorous single in the city days. So she starts to write about those days and her impossibly sexy ex-boyfriend in her journal. Then her husband reads her journal. And drama ensues. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, we are going to talk about some spoilers, but we'll warn everyone. But both Kate and I related to this show so deeply, which doesn't happen very often. Usually one of us kind of gets it on an intellectual level and the other one's viscerally into it. But even though there are different parts of our lives that we related to and different past relationships that we've had, we had very strong feelings about this show. And many, many hours were spent on the phone talking about it, which I think was your point. I mean, you said you wanted the show to be noisy and risky and start conversations, which is exactly what our podcast is for. And your mission was definitely accomplished with us. So thank you for that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's for sure what we wanted. I gather from your interviews that you've been trying to push the envelope for some time. Right? Yeah. You've been looking for female forward shows and not that female forward, but you know, yeah, hearing yeah. that. I mean, it's crazy that female forward is pushing the envelope and things are changing so much with the proliferation of all these streaming services. And there are a lot more outlets and opportunities and there's a lot more diversity in terms of the shows and and not just in terms of gender, but certainly racial diversity and every other kind of diversity, a show that was considered too niche before there's a place for it. But I can remember 10 years ago pitching a show about a women's health clinic and a doctor 
doctor there and like the four patients over the course of a season, it was going to be serialized. And the note was, it's too female. Can it not be a women's health clinic? Can the doctor be a man? You know, <laughs> something like that. And yeah, I've been a TV writer for almost 20 years. And there were many times I was the only female writer on staff and times where I would pitch a story point that seemed incredibly personal to me and very real, and I'd just be laughed out of the room. So the idea that we could make a show about something that really did resonate so much for me, that was sort of the the hook for me. Netflix had optioned B.B. Easton's book. Miles Dale, the producer, had optioned it and had brought it to Netflix, and they wanted to make a a show out of it. And the part that I related to so personally was about this idea of having had these glamorous single in the city days and now being this completely other person and wondering like, well, where did that girl go? And how can I be all things? And I miss that girl. And I miss that time, even though I adore my kids and, and that identity crisis. And what's been so gratifying is hearing from so many women who feel like that really speaks to them and that this is a conflict or a predicament that women don't ever talk about because there's a risk of seeming ungrateful yeah. because, oh, you know, you have a husband and, and these two healthy kids and in, in Billy's case, this beautiful house and all of these things. And and so why can't that be enough? And why can't you be happy? And I think it was great to be a rallying cry to say, certainly the fancy house has nothing to do with happiness. And if you have a husband to whom you've become invisible and a huge part of yourself that you're not getting to express, you're not going to be happy. And you don't have to be embarrassed to say, I miss sex. I had great sex and I miss it. And I want it again. And I want to be that person who had that kind of sex. And it's okay to want to have it all and to be it all, even though we keep being told that's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's like, well, we're still going to try over here. <laughs> yeah. And try you did. I mean, <laughs> and I think you've just touched on in terms of relatability. I mean, I think the identity crisis is a big one. I do want to talk about Billy because because you know, on this podcast, we do focus on complicated women. Yes, which, perfect. <laughs> perfect, because to us, Billy represents that. Exactly. She's mm -hmm. conflicted. She has a lot of dimensions, a lot going on, but is very relatable. She, as you said, has lost a part of herself now that she's had kids and moved to the suburbs and left her job. And for me, listen, I loved the sexy, glittery, addictive ride that this show was and all of that. But the self-actualization part mm -hmm. for Billy was really what spoke to me and the struggle that she was going through. And I don't want to make this an episode of Kate on the Couch, but I <laughs> say that it was very relatable. And so I was curious more about your development of Billy and how you were able to explore this conflict while also still making her relatable. Because, you know, yeah. this is a struggle all the time of how far can you go before people then go, mm, you know? Yeah. Well, let's use the dirty word, which is likable. That is something that I've been after for a long time and certainly came up a lot on Unreal. And Glenn Mazzara, who's a TV writer, who is a great mentor of mine, even when we were on Crash, we were talking about, well, what do you do if you get the note from your network that this person isn't likable. And I'll just say nine times out of 10, when you get that note, it's a female character who they're saying is not likable. People are so much rougher on women than on men. And women are rough on women themselves, yes, not just men. <laughs> rough, yeah. 
And especially when somebody is a mom, you know, you're supposed to just be a Madonna martyr, basically. But so what Glenn would talk about was adding vulnerability. And so that was a big guiding light throughout the, the season was that we had to see how much Billy was hurting and we had to see like how real and deep this sort of pain was. And like, even just from the first episode when she's talking to Sasha on the phone and she's on the couch and she's saying, I'm not sure this is who I'm supposed to be. And she looks really scared about this realization that she's had. And, and it's really painful and she's very conflicted. There was a lot of discussion of like how glittery her present day life should look. So when I had my first lookbook for the series, her present day life looked more like Tully, if you ever saw that movie that Charlie's there. Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah. And so that's like much more of a rough and real version of breastfeeding and those first few months postpartum and everything. And the note was to make her present day life also have wish fulfillment in it. And even though I sort of resisted that at first, I actually see why that was a good note. I mean, aside from just like the pleasure of seeing this gorgeous house in Connecticut and, yeah. <laughs> and everything where she lives and everything. But it's like, if it's like, well, she's living in squalor and she has this super rich and fancy ex-boyfriend, like everybody would be like, okay, go to him. But it was really about making it a fair fight and also making it that there wasn't an obvious answer to it. Like if it's just like, well, if he was just making enough money that she could have a babysitter sometimes and she could go back to school or go back to work or whatever, it was really trying to make it a fair fight. But that is definitely challenging for people. The fancy house definitely makes a lot of people go, just shut your mouth and enjoy your fancy house and your healthy children or whatever. But that was really part and parcel of it was to show someone who does seemingly have it all. And yet there is this other thing. This is like total spoiler alert, but when she does what she does at the end of the the season and she decides it's not enough and she runs to her ex-boyfriend, I knew that that moment would be incredibly controversial. Mm -hmm. And I deliberately wanted people to be split. And that's why we had to build up both sides because I really was like, I want 50% of the people screaming at their TV and saying, what are you doing? Stop it. No, go back to your husband. He's beautiful. And then half of the people to be like, yes, girl, go. (laughs) And like living vicariously through her release and everything. And when we shot her running through the streets of New York, we shot every emotion on her Mm. face because we we knew, first of all, we wanted to have options. But if you have just pure release on her face, then also people might hate her too, you know? So there had to be a real mix of everything. But look, I have said it takes her eight episodes of struggling over this decision and trying to be good. And then even in the last episode, like trying to put herself back into the box and going like, well, it's 85% and that's good enough. And I was that person before and I can't be that person now. And there's always going to be a hotter guy and I have a partner and all these She's very convincing. (laughs) Yeah. Until like it all bursts out. And then she does something that was never intended to be the end of the story. It was never intended to be like, and so the answer is cheat on your husband. Right. Like that's, you know, that right. was never thing. Like the end. Exactly. And it was a step towards the self-actualization that you talk about, but it is not 
I'm married myself. I don't think that the answer is just cheat on your husband. It was always intended to be a step. And then, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? Yes, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What I loved, you talked about building up both sides and it was like episode to episode where I was like, she should mm. be with Cooper. No, <laughs> go back to Brad. No, Cooper. It was, I mean, I yeah. was constantly yeah. going back That's and good. forth. I mean, yeah. it's interesting what people forgive in the boys. So oh. for example, some people forget, first of all, that Cooper kind of ignored her and just went straight to the baby and then that he was watching TV over her shoulder and then he read her journal which where I come from is like a huge betrayal okay and yeah then he talked to his friend about what was in her journal and then spoiler alert spoiler alert like got a blowjob from her friend right in front of her when he could tell that she was really upset about it and then like gaslit her into believing that it was all her fault right and so those are not good things no I mean look I could also argue for Cooper, but I think a lot of people have done that. There are Team Brad and Team Cooper people. There are Team Cooper people who would say, but he was willing to change and he was trying to change for her and he was trying different things and he didn't freak out that she had a wild sexual past as many men would do. And also the Team Cooper people are like, they just don't believe that Brad has changed. Brad's profession yes, that he's handled yes. his emotional baggage and his childhood trauma and he can be the person that she always wanted him to be or whatever. Then there are other people who either say they don't believe that he's changed or it's too bad that you've changed because you lost your chance and you messed it up before and you don't get a do-over, as Sasha said. Sasha, him, you know? say, yeah. Sasha lays that on pretty clearly too. Yeah, I love yeah. That. Love or her. you can't make a, a hoe into a house husband would be yeah. one of my favorite lines of hers. Yeah. Well, like Billy did, sometimes we look into our past to revive a part of ourselves that we've lost. But sometimes the past is where we've kind of stuffed something down. I had done that. I wanted to be a writer and thought that was not okay. So I went to be a lawyer instead. That was the, the safe thing to do. But then when I became a mother and I was lost and wasn't sure my identity was all in flux, I brought forth that part of me and I was like this isn't new this has been here the whole time but I'm bringing it out now for the first time and you got your start in Hollywood (laughs) as an actress by the way pink dress you were there I spotted you yes yes that is me yes that is me in episode five yes reliving your acting days but but you had said that you had known you wanted to write for tv and film for a long time and you called yourself a late bloomer and Billy is evidence that that if something is really missing in your life you shouldn't go without it but you are also proof that just because something is hard doesn't mean it's wrong and in my experience that applies to marriage and motherhood and career and I really Really appreciate your honesty around that. Do you want to talk oh, a little yeah. bit about blooming beyond your 20s? And Yeah, certainly. I mean, I also thought I was going to be a lawyer, by the way, and I'm oh. glad you've come back around to that. There were many things I wanted to do. I mean, when I was in college, I was a politics major. And at a certain point, I thought I was going to go work for the Foreign Service or like even the CIA was like recruiting on campus. I was like, oh, that sounds glamorous. But no, yeah, look, I fell in love with acting. That's a, that's a longer story. But I was always doing theater and things like that. And then there was a summer that I went as an apprentice to go work at this theater in New York Stage and Film takes over the powerhouse theater at Vassar College in the summers. And I went there as an apprentice and I got cast in the main stage show, which was this play with Christine Lottie and Carol Kane and Mark Lynn Baker and all these fancy people. And I was taking an acting class.
class and I thought, oh my gosh, maybe this could be my life. And this is the fun part of my life. Like the politics classes were like intellectual and whatever, but yes. I was, this is like my passion and everything. And so, yeah, then I, I went to a two year conservatory program for acting and, and then was doing, you know, theater in New York and, and little film and television things, and then moved to LA for that. But I was really frustrated and just feeling like, I was not living up to all of my potential. And in, in fact, when I had told my father that I was going to go to acting school and not law school, and he was like, it's just acting, huh? And I was like, yeah, they don't have like a joint degree uh, kind of thing. <laughs> and I, I remember he was like, okay, well, but then if you get close to 30 and you haven't really made it yet, like you can always change and do something else. And I was so mad. I was like, this is my life. This is what I'm doing. Don't uh, take it seriously. Don't, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. But in fact, I was about 28 when I was like, oh, I'm not feeling like this is really going like the way that I want. And so what actually happened was that my acting agent at that time, we went to go see a movie I was in that was a terrible movie, B-movie. And he said, look, your career's going along and you're booking jobs, which was frankly kind of generous because I really wasn't booking that many jobs. And he said, but, you know, nothing's really changing we need to do something to make it change. Have you ever thought about writing anything? And I did have this idea, which is also a longer story, but it was an adaptation of a book. And I sort of pitched him out the story and he goes, it's great. It's great. Just write it. And he gave me a really great license because he said, even if it's shitty, just write it. Then he was like a total agent because he was like, just take two weeks and write it. It didn't, in fact, take just two weeks, but the process of writing it was really very personally transformational for me because I felt like I was snapping back into who I really was as a person. When I was in front of my computer in my sweatpants until three in the morning and happy as a clam. And the longer that I was in LA and being an actress, like my hair, which is, I'm a brunette, but it was like my hair was highlighted and it was getting like more and more and more and more highlighted until like suddenly people would be like the blonde. And I'd be like, who are they talking about? And it's like, oh my God, they're talking about me. Until like the same week that I finished the screenplay, I dyed my hair back to brown. It was like uh, really like snapping back into back who, to my roots. who I really was. Was, exactly. Literally. And so then like, it was really a journey through there and nothing has ever happened with this feature that I wrote. I mean, it was like optioned at some point, which at the time I was like, it was optioned and, you know, and it was not for a lot of money or anything like that, but it was enough encouragement that I was like, oh, maybe I should be doing this. And even just like that, my agent liked it, you know, in any way. And so then I had an idea for a TV show and back then now it's different and I'll get into that. But back then that's not at all how it worked. Like you don't just be a random person who's never done anything and have an idea for a TV show and and go and pitch it like you go on staff of somebody else's television show and you work your way up and you get experience you become someone from whom they want to hear but anyway I still went into the agent's office and said I had an idea for a tv show and I started working on that and nothing ever happened with that tv show it was optioned by spelling Aaron Spelling this is how long ago it was but it did not sell to a network but in the course of it I found that I liked writing for television even more than I liked writing film because you don't have to decide the one way to tell this story you can tell this story this week and you can tell that story the next week and also I just love television and I also love series finales I mean, I can quote like the last five minutes of the Sex and the City series finale for you and how meaningful that was to me. And I just love that you get to live with these characters for longer. So anyway, then I decided, okay, well, how am I really going to be a TV writer? And then I got into this fellowship program that Warner Brothers has the writer's workshop. And then my career sort of took off from there. But I was on staff of other people's shows as, and writing for other people. And then being like, as I worked my way up, I was like a strong number two for like six years or something. And all around 
around me, I mean, aside from the seven years that I had taken after college to be an actress, all around me, there were people who were pitching shows or getting their own show on the air or something like that. And I was writing pilots along the way, but like, it just didn't happen for me yet. You know, so like the fact that it's, I've been a TV writer for 19 years, and this is the first show that I'm running that I created myself. I'll just say there are many much younger people who are doing that Um, now. But what's the good part about it is that, A, I really do know what I'm doing, at least. Um, But I have a real point of view, you know, and I've been telling stories for a while. And and what was exciting on Unreal was to tell a story that started a conversation, you know, and it was certainly about reality television. And it, it started that conversation, but it was also in a much broader sense about feminism and complicated female mm-hmm. protagonists, yes. you know, yeah. who are flawed. That's also the thing I want to say about Billy. I know I'm going off of the late bloomer thing, but everybody on our show makes a bad decision at least once, yes. if not more, over yes. the course of the season. And, you know, that's really on purpose. And it's also really human in my mind, but it's true. It's not, this is not the simplest kind of story to tell on television. It's much easier. I don't know, just to tell a thriller or something. I don't know that it doesn't have to be so controversial or whatever, but it is like, I've come to a place where it's just really important to me. Like, what are we saying and, and what are we doing? I mean, look, I do still think being a television writer is the most fun job in the world. It's really fun to be able to imagine something and then actually see it come to life in the physical universe, you know, and that is incredible. And writers have a lot more power and agency in television than they do in film. So that part is really fun, but it's even more meaningful, I will say, to be able to have an effect on people and and have people feel seen and to start a conversation. And I will just say on the late bloomer thing, in that time, I was very focused on my career and I was single for a very long time. And I did not meet my husband until I was 37. And I had sort of gotten to the place where I thought it's probably not going to happen for me. And my father had been ill for several years and he passed away in 2006. And so some people who believe these things were like, that's what created the space for the man to come into your life. It just sound very California. Yeah. But, um, but like I bought a condo. He had left me some money when he passed away and I used it to put this down payment on this condo and I made it as girly and glittery and sparkly as I wanted because I just thought, well, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my days and there's not going to be a dude around so I can just make it as girly as I want. And then of course, before the year was out, I had met my husband. But so, you know, I didn't get married until I was 40. I have two kids that I had after that. So I had been a single working girl for a long time. So when I had my own late nights in the nursing chair, there was a lot to be like, oh my gosh, who am I now? You know, and and I love my kids. My God, I adore my kids beyond. But it's also like, what's the right hand turn that you're going to do here (laughs) to include all of it? That's the thing about motherhood is, and I had wanted to be a a mother for a long time. And as soon as it happened, it feels like overnight, your identity is completely collapsed. It is. It is. I really want to talk to you about the article you wrote for TalkHouse called The Revolutionary Act of Female Desire, which we posted about on our Instagram and our socials because we just, I could quote the entire thing to you, but (laughs) I guess that's how much it spoke to us. But I wanted to read this part that you had said about the show. You said, this is a show about female desire. That's the sentence I wrote at the top of everything. The first story document, the first outline, the first script for sex life. It was an announcement because I knew even then that telling such a story would be daring, 
risky, controversial, mostly because female desire has been seen for centuries, millennia even, as one of the most dangerous forces in the universe. And listen, we as a society have long accepted that men have appetites and desires, Don Draper, Tony (laughs) Soprano, right? But in sex life, you flip the script And it is about time, so thank you, because we love depictions of female desire in pop fiction. In my opinion, we can't get enough of them, and there's no one depiction, so there's different variations and explorations, and the more, the better, as far as we're concerned. So I'd love to hear more about your interest in this topic and the specific Mm -hmm. ways you ensured that the female gaze was utilized in the show, because you definitely, definitely (laughs) did that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to the thing that I'll say, Billy finds herself in the predicament she finds herself in also because of some of these societal opinions about women who are sexual, quite frankly. And we're all sort of told to hide if you have had sexual experiences, hide them or lower your number or whatever. And I know that Billy really feels I mean, look, she's traumatized also by this bad breakup with Brad, but I've always felt that there's a part of her that feels like she shamed herself when she was like, oh, maybe it's because of me. And look, I did meet him and go home with him on the first night. And then this is, you know, where I am. And I also really feel like this is not how she was raised in Georgia, not what her mother told her or how her mother told her to be. So there's a lot of shame and embarrassment about it. And and look, it seems like a good idea at the time, a guy like Cooper and, and that seems good. And, and I'll be okay without that. And this is the right way to be. And it's successful. It works. It's just that then you wake up eight years later and you're like, where did this other part of me go? And I certainly understand, look, I mean, I've said like I was always doing theater. So like the theater girls in college were always a little more slutty than the athlete girls. I'll put it that way. So (laughs) I have experience with people thinking you're being too wild and crazy. And we had a good time in our twenties in New York city. I will say that my girlfriends and I, and I've always not wanted to have to hide that and wanted to celebrate that. And luckily I'm married to a man who, isn't judgmental about that and who for whom I can be all parts of myself but it's really fun to do it on a broader scale and you know there was a development executive in Netflix Irene Lee who was the woman who was sort of the prime mover with this show and she had identified this blank space in the marketplace in terms of female sexuality and how there's such a sort of genre of erotica let's just say in fiction but there wasn't that so much in television and she was very eager to develop in this blank space. And I was very eager to go on that journey with her. And she was frank when she told me, you know, there was a draft of the script that I had written where she said, this is a beautiful relationship drama, but we needed to be a big, juicy, erotic show. And I was like, well, okay. And then <laughs> clearly I really went for it. Um, <laughs> but it was exciting because I'll tell you, like when I first got that note, I was like a little bit nervous. Like, what does that mean? And the word erotic or has such sort of connotations to it that I wasn't like 100% comfortable with with, especially in terms of like what that means in terms of television. But it was my agent, Ari Greenberg, who said when I finally like confessed what the note was that I had gotten as if I was like a naughty teenager or something. <laughs> and he said, oh, you're the perfect person to write that show. And I said, oh, why, why do you think, why do you say that? Because he didn't know about the slutty college part. Um, and um, <laughs> I was like, why do you say that? And he said, because no matter how erotic you make it, it's always going to be told from an empowered female point of view. Oh, and I was like, amazing. oh, that's so nice. And that that really did give me 
the license and the freedom to sort of go for it, as I say. And it was really fun to imagine. I did at first do sort of a deep dive on the genre of other films that purported to be about female sexuality. And what I found, first of all, is that the films that were the most inspirational were from at least 20 years ago. Like I've talked about how Unfaithful, which is this Diane Lane movie, was such an inspiration. But even going back further than that, there's like Body Heat, which is this Kathleen Turner thing, which is just even parts of Flashdance, frankly, are are inspirational. But like these are old movies, you know? And when you look at more recent things, I feel that lesbian films or television shows are the ones that actually have gotten it right because surprise, surprise, they care about the female experience. (laughs) And what I found in sort of the more heterosexual films and TV shows is that, first of all, I found that almost always it would descend into S&M at some point. And it was almost always the woman who was the submissive. And I was really not interested in putting more images of that on television. But it was also about what is the man like and what kind of sex is he like? And is she going to come to like that kind of sex too? And so this was like, right out of the gate, no, this is the kind of sex that we like and what's exciting and sexy to me. And so there is a lot of oral sex in the show. People have pointed that out in a lot of manual stimulation. Um, She's clapping. We're clapping. Yeah. (laughs) And Netflix was adamant and supportive that we hire only female directors. And so there was no other way really for it to not be with the female gaze because so much about Billy's experience as opposed to objectifying Billy. Like each of the scenes, first of all, it was very explicitly written in the script. And part of that was because one of the sex scenes has a story purpose and like, what are we showing in the story or a revealing character? It's never just like a sex scene for sex sake. But also it was because I had heard from other actors that when you get to intimate scenes in the past, oftentimes the writer had just sort of gotten embarrassed by that point and they would just say, and then they have sex. And like, it's just up to the actors to kind of improvise something or for the director to figure it out. And I just like, if I'm going to do it, like, I'm going to do it, you know, I'm going to get to say how it should be. And so that affected everything. I mean, obviously, the lighting is this gorgeous dual tone lighting, a lot of the sex is in slow motion, definitely discovered in the editing process was that there were sometimes when it's not in slow motion that I was like, is a little porny for me. Um, uh, But it's also like she is remembering all this stuff. It is like nostalgia. It is rose colored glasses, many or most of the times as well. And and then it's this incredible music. I mean, aside from the needle drops, there's this like almost classic solo piano score that Mark Isham and Isabella Summers did. And, and, you know, he's this Oscar nominated composer and she's the machine from Florence and the Machine. So the two of them together were just like this dream team that sort of enveloped the sex scenes in this very emotional emotional elevated way and beautiful exactly well you are a champion of unlikable female protagonists <laughs> as i've seen uh, with the hashtag for the win and obviously i first was familiar with their work on unreal quinn and rachel <laughs> sex life is your own creation and you really delivered on so many types of women and as you said before everyone makes poor choices Billy, as we've talked about, makes some difficult choices. Sasha, I was shocked when we found (laughs) out about her and Brad, but she really comes through as a good friend and a really incredible human being by the end of the show, really right away. But Francesca, Trina, these people are not one-dimensional. They really have the full experience of conflict for us, and we love that. 
why are you drawn to unlikable females? <laughs> and do you ever get this note? Oh, but you seem so nice. <laughs> right? So I get that. That's a lot. so funny. Well, I always put unlikable in quotes because yeah, that's agree. what other people call them. You know, yes. I would say complicated, flawed, whatever. I mean, yes, I'm relatable. Complicated. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, that's what we call <laughs> Yeah. I'm definitely complicated and flawed. And so is every single other woman I know and man, yeah, frankly, sure. you know. Yeah, but course. it's just so much more interesting. I don't know. I think that we're all on a journey and we're all figuring out who we want to be and what makes us happy and what we can offer the world and all that kind of stuff. And that's not a straight line. But I'm also a drama writer, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like I do love big oh my God moments and huh. big twists and turns. And and look, that's something that I also got to do a lot of on Unreal. That's a really fun way to write television. And I'm impatient as a viewer now when you see something and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how long am I going to have to wait here until we get to the juice? You know, it's fun to bring that. But there are certain North Stars. I do believe that Billy is a really good person who is trying to do the right thing, who is a really good mother, who is unhappy in her marriage and, and is trying to figure that out. And I also believe Sasha's a really good person and a great friend, as you say. I mean, also like Billy's been married for eight years. And so when some people were angry at Sasha about that, I was a little bit like, oh, I guess you and your girlfriends have never slept with the same guy. Like, We've sort of done that a few times, yeah. me and my girlfriends. Like, <laughs> there's been guys that we've all kind of like been with along the way. So like that seemed more real to me. And what was more important to me was that Sasha being with Brad was never going to break up their friendship. I was just like, I am not going to have this female friendship broken up over some dude. So I feel like there are rules within my universe. You can be complicated and flawed, but there are some rules <laughs> that, that you can't break. It's just seeing somebody real on the screen, which I think is what's so meaningful when people feel, oh my God, I feel so seen. You don't have to pretend that everything is hunky-dory and you're perfect and everyone's perfect. And Yeah, well, men have allowed to have that range of emotion and humanity, whereas women haven't always. And Sasha was, to me, the perfect poster child for we are not our worst decisions. And as soon as she comes clean with what happened and how it happened and all of that, and she knows Billy's point of view... She makes up for it tenfold. So I had a problem when I found out. And then I was like, she's good. That's she's so funny. This. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, there were other steps along the way. Like when you see, oh, these girls have like swapped guys before in the past. Like, yes, you know, that's right. I mean, that was established not only to show like, okay, this is sort of their life, but also like we really wanted to set the stakes of how worried both Billy and Sasha were. And this is in episode four. So it's like after she's had sex with Brad again and after Billy has watched without her knowing it. Yes. So they both have done really bad things. And that was really important was that from the moment Billy wakes up, she is worried she has done something that is unforgivable and will finally break up their friendship and like no dudes could ever get between them before, but maybe this one will have. And Sasha's equally worried and she's feeling so bad and everything. And then, yes, I do love that she has completely unexpected reaction, which is just like had my ass look, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, that was the and best. <laughs> she's totally fine, you know. Sasha had so many good lines oh my gosh yes. so many good lines billy needs her yes yeah. she does need her yeah so i know you already talked about the ending a little bit so uh -huh. i don't want to belabor it but if i don't ask you about this all my friends and everyone who watches show will just never forget yeah. um so you already said that clearly you wanted 50 percent of the people were going to be team cooper 50 percent were going to be team brad it sounds like that was your intent totally. all along you knew this was going to be the ending but 
so, you know, when I talk about this with my friends, they're like, so first of all, they're like season two, like what's going to happen. And you know, Corinne and I, if you need help in the writer's room, we've got a lot of ideas, but yeah, but you know, was this to me and maybe I was just getting a little too on the self-actualization front, but I was like, well, I just see it more as it doesn't matter. She didn't necessarily choose Brad. She obviously says this changes nothing. I'm saying with Cooper, like to me, it was just her running towards her desire and her freedom and all the things she'd been missing, eh, whether she actually hooks up with Brad or not mattered less to me. But some people were like, yeah. no, she says, Fuck me. what are you talking about? <laughs> so, you know, and is this her having it all? Is that what I'm supposed to feel at the end? I mean, that is yeah. sort of how I felt, but I was like, I, I have to ask. I'm like, I'm going to ask Stacy. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything you're saying is true that yes she's running to her desires and it's an attempt to have it all what broke tv rules i'll say it that way is that she runs and says i'm not leaving my husband now fuck me she doesn't say i love you it's you you're the love of my life you're the one i want to be with which she may still feel i'm not saying that that's not how she feels but it's like in traditional tv land that's what she would say and quite frankly it would also be more quote-unquote acceptable to people and it isn't that and it's as i've said is it because she's not ready to go there yet she's scared that that's blowing up her marriage her family But I think it was intended to be like that the pressure cooker just kind of burst. She was trying to hold it all inside and couldn't. And yeah, for the women who I thought would be cheering, I didn't necessarily think that the women would be like, I'm going to leave my husband too. Although I do get some private messages (laughs) like that on social media. I'm sure you do. Oh my goodness. I'm not a marriage counselor. (laughs) Yeah. But I did think that at least women would be able to live vicariously and that they would say, I'm going to go for my desire too. Whether that means I'm going to be a writer even that I wanted to be, even though I waylaid that dream for a while, or if it is like, I'm going to put on a sparkly dress and I'm going to go out like now it's COVID. No one can do anything. Or maybe, maybe people are starting to or whatever, like, but I'm going to put on a sparkly dress and go somewhere and have a night on the town. Dancing. Like I used to. Yeah. Or I'm going to look up that old guy on Facebook or, or whatever and see where he is. But I think that the rallying cry that I really want women to have is that It's okay to admit that you have desires. They are valid and they deserve to be nurtured by you and by your partner. And you do not have to accept a watered down version of the life that you dreamt of, whatever that means Mm -hmm. for you beyond a, a man. Appetite is good and go for it and get what you want and don't settle. That's the prime instincts behind it. Yeah. That's definitely what I took away for Billy, though. I was I was so torn about the ending for so many reasons. But also, I was kind of like, Brad has to say no to her. I mean, he has yeah. just proposed and said, like, this is it. I'm better. I want to be with You're you. You're my person. Yeah. Yep. I wanna, and yep. she's like, hey, let's be fuck buddies. Yeah. Like, that is... And I love, as you did so many times in the show, you flipped the script. How many times have we seen that? A woman wants marriage and a guy's like, hey, but can we just keep sleeping together? And right. the woman... <laughs> accepts it so I kind of want Brad to accept it because so many women have but also, <laughs> and I want Billy to get what she wants but I was like yeah oh, you can't do that I was so yeah. I had so many feelings which is the best feeling ever I don't really I don't want anything wrapped in a bow especially with tv right. but but in general I want to like I 
just like if Corinne calls me screaming about things and fired (laughs) up, I'm like, she loves it. It doesn't matter. Like it's the, you know, her thing, you don't know this, but her thin line of love and hate that they're, they're, It, it means she loves it. I'm like, yes. this is, you know. Um, yes. Isn't that, that, that's a phrase one of my writers is in the writer's room is that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference or something oh, like that. It's like, you know. Something. I say that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's true. If, that's like if people death. are screaming about the show, that is a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Whether they're screaming in approval or disapproval. Well, yes. I love the show, but I wasn't yes. sure who I was rooting for sometimes. Yeah. And that was actually really fun because there were so many people and situations and contexts I could get behind. And then some I was really upset about. So, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We have a couple more. Is yeah, that, yeah, sure. That's, that's, fine. Okay. that's fine. Should I cut to our favorite, Corinne? Or? Of course. We have to. We can't. Yeah, we can't. Not. Is it a prosthetic? Is that the no. question? No. <laughs> Let me just yes, say the answer please. that I should have been giving all along to the end to the question. Is it real or not? I should have said. I am really shocked by the reactions that this has created because maybe it's just who I'm married to, but doesn't everybody look like that? <laughs> exactly. Did your husband give you that answer? Because that that's true. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect. Uh, that's oh my God. Wait, what? That Sorry. was weird? Yeah. Yeah, what are you, aren't they all what like that? that? Yeah. I mean, that so. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So um, good. Okay, sorry. No, what so doing? anyway, no, so Corinne and I, astrology, it is a oh. big side interest of ours. Okay. We ask all our creators, what's your sign and do you relate? But we have cyberstalked you and okay. we you understand know I'm Capricorn. a Capricorn. Yes. <laughs> so, so that Which means are, I'm also a control freak, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. But you're also usually, you know, you're like the all work, little play people of mm. the Zodiac, the hard working yes. people, which sounds like clearly is true about you, yes. but not yes. the no play part. So do you relate or maybe your moon sign is something different? Yeah. I don't know. but I don't know what my moon sign is. I mean, I did always hear that Capricorn is, you know, with the, cause the goat or whatever. So it's like your feet are firmly planted on the ground, but your horns are reaching to the sky. Oh, so, um, so that, that has always rung true for me because it's like, yes, my feet are firmly planted on the ground. I am a workhorse. I do work my butt off and I have worked my butt off, but I'm always dreaming. And and of course the world in which I'm working is a world of dreaming and imagining and trying to create. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a working mom right now. I have two kids, you know, a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I have a husband and I have a very, you know, demanding job. And so like anyone, that's a lot, you know, and and I'm also, I have a mom who has Alzheimer's who are taking care of, like, it's a full plate, you know? And so I too need to be reminded to put on a sparkly dress and go out or, or have self-care, even if that's, you know, whatever, a massage or something, you know, but, but I do, yes, I do. I do feel like the workhorse, you know, and, and I, you know, look in, in Hollywood, the, the sign that you've really made it. And these are men who are like this is that you can go to a meeting in like flip-flops and sweatpants and not be prepared for the meeting and not really know what's going on. And you're still, you know, the big wig in the room. And I've been in pitches with, I, I, I won't say who, but a big time <laughs> Hollywood producer dude who was like that. And I was the workhorse who had worked out everything and had the story all worked out and was going to be pitching all the details and stuff. And so, you know, we used to talk about, 
you know, a writer friend of mine, like that, that was our goal was to be able to be so successful that you could just wear sweatpants and flip flops to a meeting and not really know what's going on and still be successful. And like, I don't really mean that because I'm too much of a good girl to just feel like yeah. it's well, you're a, a Capricorn jerk. too. Yeah. You're yeah. just not going to half-ass it. There's exactly. no, there's just no way. You will yeah. always be prepared That's and have true. done the work. I have been that. I have been that girl. Yeah. Also, <laughs> you kind of got that from the pandemic and that's not worth it. <laughs> not, not that way. That's true. You actually can be in your sweatpants yes. and, yes. and flip-flops. That's true in a meeting. <laughs> so what do we have? I, I, I'm sure there's so much you can't talk about, but it, what can we look forward to in the future? You're working on, I'm, I'm hoping a few things in the pod. Yeah. And, and when will we hear about season two? I know, and tell I us, know. tell us, tell us. All I'm supposed to say is our fingers are crossed, but hopefully soon. I did sell another show to Netflix that we are, we're still negotiating the deal though. So that's why I can't even really talk about it. But I mean, what could I say publicly? Yes, we've been doing a lot of thinking about what season two would be and going down all of the roads of what that story might be. Because everything you say is true is is what happens after after we cut to black, you know, does what does Brad say, you know, some people have even said, is that real? Is that a dream sequence? You know, so we have to find that out. Many people also asked, was it real? Was, was Brad really at the bookstore at Sasha's or it's not a bookstore, but at her, at her book event, mm -hmm. or was that real or imagined, which I think is a good question too. That's has less of an impact on, on a potential season two, but, but that's, and, and what will happen when, when Billy finds out that that Cooper has been tracking her. It's been interesting that people have talked about is like some people are outraged that he has put a tracker on her phone and other people think, well, but she is running to her ex-boyfriend. So he had every reason to put a tracker on her phone. But he's, you know, look, Cooper is that kind of guy who is, you know, pretty black and white and 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 had a really firm idea of what he wanted his life to look like before there ever was a Billy and says that they need to be honest with each other. And yet yeah, puts a tracker on her phone. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's Reads a, a journal. Lot of, yeah. And, yeah. So there's a lot to sort out there. And we have been, you know, kicking the tire. So hopefully we will get a chance to to do that. But I'm always reading stuff and, and dreaming about stuff and thinking about what's next. And it's always a story that I relate to on some personal level. I really feel like that's what we're we're doing here as as writers and really any artists. You're here to experience life and observe life and and communicate about it. And you never know if what you have to say is going to resonate with people. I honestly, I knew that this predicament for Billy resonated for me, but I I had no idea if if people would relate to that or say I've felt the same way or anything. And and that's been incredibly gratifying. So it's just I'm you know always on the hunt for the the next one of those. Well, yeah. add the two of us to that related <laughs> part. Yes. And we know whatever you're doing next, it's going to have a lot of complicated women that we that will true. love to that follow. That is true. That exactly. is true for sure. Thank yes. you so much. Thank you so much. We were just big fans, obviously. Oh, thank of the you show. so much. Yes, and of your I work. mean, and, and thank you for saying that out loud and proud about complicated women, not even just about my show, but like you it's are. It's the whole basis. It's, yeah. Of yeah, the podcast. And, 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 yeah. But, and you guys are making that the rallying cry and normalizing complicated women and normalizing an enthusiasm for complicated women, you know, and so we are soldiers in the same army. I'll yes. put it that way. Yes, <laughs> That's exactly are. right. And the other thing is, 
they're not, it's not one thing. There's so much to explore. And with every other representation, we get to, to dive into what it all means. And we love that. Totally. That's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you guys. Bye. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.